listeners, welcome. This is Janice Alpert. Um, welcome to On Purpose. First, I want to tell everyone um, and wish everyone a happy and healthy new year. We took the month of December off. So welcome back um, to the podcast On Purpose, where we talk and interview people who have also been on the journey to find their purpose and are willing to share their story with us to help motivate you, the listener, to examine what your purpose might be. So I'm really excited about our guest today. Her name is Sandy Levy London. Hi, Sandy. Welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. So um, I usually just start off, I, I, as the listeners probably know who've listened, I don't really know that much. I, I do a little bit of like looking you up, but I really don't know that much about you. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your, just your life, your growing up and a little bit about yourself. So I will say that I am 77 years young. Oh, and that is for sure. You've got a young energy. Yep. And I never intend to retire. In mm-hmm. fact, I like to re-inspire myself every day. And retirement would be for people who don't like what they do or don't want to do what they do. So for me, it's inspiring that every day I wake up and I'm excited that I get to do what I do best, which is give my gifts or my life purpose. I love that. And of course, I feel the exact same way. I'm in my early seventies and also have no intention of retiring. Um, my clients are always saying to me, you're not retiring. I go, as long as I can do this and I can think and I can talk and I still love it and it touches my soul. I'm, I'm not quitting. So, okay. So I love that. So what, how did this all start that you got on your purpose and just, yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. So I'll say that the name of my company on purpose goes back 43 years. Wow. You were very much an innovator. I was an innovator in 1980, maybe the first person, one of them, he could even be the first to ever use that word and start printing about it. In fact, Harper Harper and Rowe had sent me a letter saying that I could be gifted a uh, opening uh, stipend to write the first book on it. But I did write it. I did did write it. Oh, you did? I did write it, but I felt it wasn't good enough to send in. I wrote it, though, and I called it the art of personal marketing, which part of that means kind of means this, that when you have your purpose, the best thing that you could do with it is put it out. So I showed people how to put it out from their personal heart, from their personal passion. That's why I called it personal marketing. Okay. The whole course was about knowing your purpose, knowing your vision, knowing your mission. And that course started in 1979 uh, when I worked for women's success team, the first women's success team or the first course like it maybe to create women in passionate teams of support in 1979 in San Francisco. So my job was to find everybody's dream and their purpose. Okay, well, just going back, how how did you find your own? I mean, how did you even know? Yeah, I will say this like this. So when I was a little girl, uh-huh. Uh, say seven years old. Where, what where I, noticed, you, I live you... in the Bronx. Okay. I come from the Bronx. I noticed that what I like to do best, and I was really aware of it, was to talk about with people, even adults, why are they doing what they're doing? Or even the question, who are they? I used to ask them that question. Even because, as, a, as a little as a little girl. A little you... girl. Yeah, I did that starting very, very young, wow. maybe seven, eight years old. I even asked my mother, why did God send her? What is she here for? This was a pertinent question, having listened for many years to my mother's friends, because in the Bronx, when I was a little girl, we grew up like in a tenement. 
and we listened to a lot of people come and go in our house well our little apartment because at that uh-huh. point we lived in a little apartment uh-huh. we were surrounded by a lot of neighbors mm-hmm. and they all came and go and they told their stories okay so i was kind of like an interested listener wow yeah i mean i have an eight-year-old granddaughter so I, it's you know and she's a curious kid but i don't know if she would ask what my purpose was or or, or we go in that words. direction mm-hmm. not in those words but in the words I said, because I also had religious training, I said, well, God, why did God send you? What are you here for? Okay. And my mother didn't, I didn't use the word purpose though. And then one day my mother said, well, God sent me to be your mother. And I had an okay. answer for that. And this was my answer. If that was your only reason to be here, you would be happy all the time. But I noticed that you're not happy all the time. So there must be something else involved in it. What a and, smart and, little girl you were yeah, and very yeah. intuitive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she said, are you writing a book? And I said, no, I, I never thought about writing a book. I said, I just want to learn and know. That was my answer. Okay. I just want to learn and know. That's an amazing answer, especially right. for an eight-year-old. All right. And, and so as I went along, you know, I had a lot of questions. I would ask people questions. I would listen. I would repeat what they said to see if I got it right. And I was, I was looking for something always. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious and, when, as an eight-year-old, when you're asking these adults, these questions, did anybody like roll their eyes or were, were you, were you treated yes. with? Oh, okay. Yeah, they did roll their eyes. They were, they were kind of dumbfounded and I, I bet, uh, but it didn't stop me. It didn't stop me. Uh, no, even, even with the roll, even with the eye roll, you continued on. I continued on to ask the questions and to listen and observe. And, you know, as I got older and older and older, I thought, you know, what I was looking for because I thought everybody, when they, the thing that bothered me most about people is that they, re, they repeated the same negative story over and over and over, mm-hmm. kind of like a passion for pain. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have called it that in myself, but I couldn't understand. Why would anybody tell the same story over and over and over? Because when I was listening to them tell the story, I'd heard that same story before. Why would they tell it again? Mm-hmm. And that was a big question in my mind. Why? Well, unless they- unless they were going to have some cathartic uh, experience mm-hmm. and learn mm-hmm. from it. But most from I know exactly what you're saying. That probably was not the case. No, it was more like complaining. Kvetching. Yeah. Complaining like, and kvetching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kvetching <laughs> is the right word. Complaining. And another word is that is kvetching. So at, at a certain point, I thought to myself, what I need to do here, I became a teacher uh, and I became a teacher of emotionally served. I have a master's degree from the Bank Street School in New York. Really and then nice. I thought to myself, like, was, like uh, what, what age bracket did you? I'm in the 20s. I'm in oh, the okay. 20s now. And I moved from New York to California, say, when I was 29 years old. At oh. that time, I'd been a teacher for many years of emotionally disturbed children. And I taught Were these children. young children or, or yes, all Yes, young children. Oh, okay. All up to, say, a, a grade eight. Okay. I have a, a California teaching license for uh, what you call a, a tenured license forever because of my degrees in, in, in my master's and my years of teaching. Okay. But I was looking for something. Uh, and, and the way I'd work with these emotionally disturbed children was the way that I thought, like, everybody has a gift. Everybody has a purpose. Yeah. Everybody has something special. And if I could identify with what is the, if I can help them identify what's special and unique about them, mm-hmm. they would feel a lot of uh, esteem, what we today would call self-esteem. Right. So I'm curious, when you were a teacher, did you feel you were on your purpose at that time or were you still? Definitely. definitely okay. So definitely. even as a teacher, I, you felt like I'm absolutely. on my, I'm on my path. I had, okay. I had, I had children that no one else would teach in the New York City public school system in the wow. ghetto. Mm-hmm. I had the same class for four years. Four teachers wow. had four teachers had walked out on it in the middle of the class before I took it over. 
and I had it for years. And I told you're amazing. Yeah. I told the principal, I'm not walking out. I will not uh, be upset. I will handle it no matter what happens. And she doesn't need to worry about this class anymore. Okay. And uh, that's how I feel about it. I still still remember every child in that class and their names and what was unique about them. It had they, they this class had a leader. His name was Jesus Aceves. And, and you can guy, still remember this like 50 years later, whatever it is. It is it is over 55, it's 57 years. Wow. 50, 50 years later. And I always think that he became a world leader in his own right, whatever he was leading in the community, because he led this class. And you saw that quality in him, yeah, whatever his other emotional, whatever his emotional challenges were, you could see he had this leadership quality that would ultimately take him wherever it was going to take him. Right. One you fascinating, yeah. One fascinating thing that happened during the years I was a teacher is there was a ghetto. There was a strike. The teachers went on a strike. Mm-hmm. And since I worked in a ghetto, and I had a special class of special needs children and their parents all went to work. I felt I couldn't go on strike no matter what would happen, no matter any of the any of the issues. It would not matter because these children would be on the street and they wouldn't eat. So at some point during this walkout and people even threw fruit at me as I passed them. Oh, wow. You know, people were so angry, but I still wouldn't be deterred. They asked me, could I take the emotionally disturbed class with the intellectually gifted? Because one, that teacher, yes, in one class, and because that teacher was on strike. Okay, so and, you said, and I'm, I'm guessing you said yes. I said yes because I thought it was a fascinating thing to have two spectrums here: one with great learning disabilities, and one with great abilities to learn. Right. And how did that go? I still remember all those children. Also, uh, how was the mix? I mean, how did they interact? They interacted terrific. Uh, we had no stress. In fact, when the time came, the teacher came back, you know, I said, I'll keep them if you want me to, because I think it's working <laughs> amazing. But, you know, they, the teacher took her kids back, but oh, okay. we all learned a lot by it. We all learned a lot by it. Uh, I, as I said, it was one of, it was a peak experience in my life. Okay. I would say. Neat. Just it sounds like together. Okay. But great. anyway. All right. So now you know, you're back in California or not back. You went right. to California. Yeah, I went to California for the first time to take this therapy that's called primal scream therapy. Oh, I remember that. Which, right. Of which I worked with Arthur Janoff, the formulator. Mm-hmm. And I was there three years and I studied his whole method because he said he had a method for curing neurosis. Oh, I mean, I, mean, I remember the theory, but I, I, I didn't through, know that much the, about it, but that was right. the goal was to clear. I, I thought it was just right. to get out feelings, but it was to, to cure Absolute neurosis. Clear oh. neurosis. That's what okay. the book said. And I thought, you know, wow, if he has a method to clear neurosis, I want to learn it and I want to take it back to New York. Mm. Oh, okay. So you weren't going to, you were never going to be permanently in your mind in California. It wasn't. I I went there to 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 visit, to learn and to return to where I came from. But I never did return. I never did return. I became very uh, Californianized, I would say. (laughs) I saw the opening or the question or the expansion of the person who thought in California. Mm -hmm. And I then just went on to, at the end of the therapy, I thought to myself, he had one thing that I didn't agree with. He believed that when you're damaged, I felt he was saying that you would be permanently damaged Mm -hmm. and that there's nothing we could ever do about it. That this damage, either in the womb or in the birth process, or in the early years of life would carry through and there was nothing that could be done. No. With that. 
uh, just so you know, listeners, I also do not believe that I've seen too much growth in my 40 years as a clinician. Right. So that's yeah. Yeah. BS. So, yeah. so I think that after that, when I, when I was maybe 32, when I left there, I spent the rest of my life looking at every possible way to release emotional, psychic and traumatic pain. Okay. And so you've done a lot with, of work with trauma then. I have. And I came up with my own method, which oh. took me maybe 25 years or 20 to 25 years to see how to do it. Okay. Uh, but during these years, I took many classes. I had many studies. It was, it was a passion of mine to mm-hmm. release people from their pain and at the same time, have them see their purpose. Okay. So during this time, if I may ask, you know, since none of our lives are exactly, you know, smooth sailing, were you going through your own stuff in terms yeah. of your own personal growth? What was happening Definitely. for you? Definitely. It's very important not to be an unhealed healer. Right. Uh, and I love that. That is yeah. so, so true. So what I say about my work with myself, not only did I work on myself and have different forms of therapies and different trainings for a lot of money, uh, more money than most people would ever consider to spend uh, on themselves in their development. I actually listened to every word I said, because as I teach, I got it. So as I began to teach and share with others mm-hmm. what they were going through and how they could work with it and how they could clear it, I listened to every word I said. And I would ask myself also, are you doing this? Are you doing this? Are you doing this in your I've own often, life? Right. I've often said that part of being a therapist, whether you a secondhand, it's like secondhand uh, perk is that you're mm-hmm. actually doing therapy on yourself, because as you're helping right. others, if you're paying attention to what you're saying and you're an in, introspective human being, which I'd like to think most therapists are not all, but I know I am that you do, you reflect on what you're telling your clients. And then hopefully later thinking, am I doing that? Am I, am I, am I walking the walk? Not just talking the talk. So I I too, right. I've too tried to walk that walk because again, no one's (laughs) life is perfect. That is for sure. So during this time, you have struggles. Right. I have struggles. I learned a lot. And I asked that question, am I walking the game? I talk every single day of my life. Wow. Am I doing what I'm sharing with this person? And then I want to say another thing about this. When yes. you get a new client, because I was I, I became both a counselor and life coach and I became a life coach because people wanted me to coach their life as of 1979 and 1980. Oh, so when, long. You've been doing this a long, long time. time. Yeah. I am 43 years, maybe the oldest life coach in the world, also a relationship coach with my wow. own method. I could be the very first one because I had also thought of creating a school of coaching, but I didn't do it. Hey, today, it sounds like you've been very busy. I'm not sure you'd have time to do that as well. But anyways, yeah. um, so you started no. a coaching yeah. business. Right. I started with, I didn't actually call it a coaching business. I was just coaching people in their lives that came to me. And by the end of say, the reason that people started to come to me was they had seen what I did with the people at Women's Success Teams when I worked with a thousand women in that year, maybe 500 right. to a thousand. And then also that I coached a person who was very famous and he had a life change. And then they all said that came to me, said, I want you to do for me what you did for him. Well, we want to know who that, of course, I know we want to know who that is, but I understand if you can't say, but curious minds. I can say, I can Uh, say his his name is uh, Justin Sterling of the Sterling Institute. I worked together with him to help him put out many years ago, this training that is very famous called Women's Sex and Power or they call it the women's training, or and also the men's training, which is called the men's training, or the gorilla training. And that oh. was where 
I also, so I had a lot of experience in the world of trainings and courses in the women's success team. And also then in the women's sex and power or the women's training, I was the first staff member there. And uh, many people, thousands and thousands of people have taken this training. Uh, what is the training both in women's success, which I've never heard of? I mean, things. what is this is different things. Okay. Barbara Scher formulated the women's success team and she wrote the first book on how to discover at least one of them, how to discover what you really want to do with your life and do it. And she called this book Wishcraft, not witch, but wishcraft. wishcraft. Okay. Never right. heard of that. And, okay. and uh, a very, very famous book. It's It, it, it came before uh, What Color Is Your Parachute or oh. Marshall and Clan's book, which is called Do What You Want and the Money Will Follow. Right. He wrote the first. I, I wrote, I, 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 re I read that What Color Is Your Parachute many, mm -hmm. many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, referred to it, re recommended it. So, yeah. Right, right, right. And every year, he, at least, I don't know if he still puts out a new one. But anyway, then I went on to work with this, you know, women's sex and power or the women's training, the, uh, the men's training or the gorilla training. And at that point, you know, I saw to myself, I want to develop my own method, my okay. own method of what I would do with it. And I call that training with uh, true woman's power. OK. And what did that entail that was different than what you were doing already? It came from a very different place. It was about personal clearing of any personal issue you had as a woman, mm -hmm. identifying the issues, both in power, success, being a mother, being a wife, uh, being personally responsible to be what I call accountable to your purpose. Mm -hmm. But at many, many, many parts. Okay, so it wasn't just, this wasn't just for career people, it was for no. anybody in in anybody in any walk of life, new mothers. Anybody, anybody. anybody. You know, teachers, anybody. anything, mm -hmm. anybody. But the focus was women. The, the women were only the ones in this training. I also had a, a course called True Men's Power taught by somebody else that I knew who I'd also trained. Okay. But my main interest in this was to get women to release their traumas, to release their voice, mm -hmm. to come back. By the end of the training, people saw the greatest power we have as women is to fully communicate ourselves yep. in ways yep. that we're received and heard. Totally. You know, I've said this many, many times when women are struggling in their relationships, because, um, you know, I, I see both men and women, of course, but I mean, I, a lot of my clients have been women over the years. And one of the things I literally say to them is you're undervaluing the power you have in this relationship. You know, most people, especially if you're married X amount of years, um, the men don't really want to get divorced and they don't really want to generally want to leave the relationship. So if they're doing things that you know, you feel are uncomfortable or just aren't fulfilling to you. And there, and you say to them, Hey, this is like, could be a deal breaker. You'd be surprised how many men will say, Whoa, I didn't realize it was that bad. And they might make some changes just by you using your voice. So yeah, women have right. more power right. in, and that's just right. in relationships. That's also yeah. in the workplace. And yeah. Right. right. I want to agree with you totally mm -hmm. with the idea that many women may think they've shared with their partner, what mm -hmm. they want or how they feel. Yep. But when I tell this to the partner, they act like I never heard this before in the way you're telling. Me. I so agree with you. Like they, they, mm -hmm. they, the partner will go, I, I didn't know that's what she wanted. I didn't know. Exactly. I don't even know what you're talking about. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I spent years listening. When I take a couple in, in relationship counseling, I first take them separately because yeah. I don't want to put them in a room where I don't even understand the dynamic 
on what the issues are. And they may not even know what the issues are. Mm -hmm. So first I do the person's personally. Yes. Until I feel clear that I've taught them. I also teach them how to clear. Which what is does that mean? How to clear? Yeah. What does that well, mean? How to you know, clear? I, I, my book, my book called, I just want peace. Okay. By, so by that family. one, that one is published. I just, the first book you said you never submitted because yeah. you felt it wasn't Actually, ready. I wrote, I wrote three books. Oh. The first one, the first one is called the art of personal marketing, which I still have. Okay. And um, that book was not released. And I wrote it with one of my very dear friends named Shalora Fitzgerald. Okay. And one of my colleagues, and we didn't release this book. But it, about three years ago, I, I wrote a, a chapter in a book called The Art of Transformation for Women. And it was a compilation of 19 different women's stories about their 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 success in the world with themselves. OK. Oh, that sounds like a very interesting book. What's it called again? Yes. The Art and Truth of Transformation for okay. Women. All right. I'm going to keep out, I'm gonna check put, that out. Yeah. Put out by Powerful You Publishing. And that book became an international seller, bestseller. And that book has my chapter called Daring to Risk. Oh, okay. So, so when you when you said my name, my name actually is said this way. Sandy Levy Lundin, L-U-N-D-E-N is my last name. And it's a Swedish name because I was married to a Swedish man. Oh, okay. When people look me up on my website, it's just Sandy Levy, L-E-V-E-Y, W-W-W, Sandy Levy. Okay. Anyway, uh, well, this book, you know, was became an international bestseller. And my story called Daring to Risk is about how I actually became who I am. And that is in this it's in this book. Okay. But recently I just released my new book called I Just Want Peace, mm -hmm. which contains the entire story and the total method of how you clear. It took me 10 years and about five editors. I spent thousands of dollars getting this book to tell you exactly how to do it. And what when you say how to clear, what does that mean? How to release any barrier, like a limited thought, like like you're you're you're, you're not good enough or mm -hmm. you're too uh, you, you don't look uh, you're not smart enough or you had too much pain in your life to succeed or a trauma. So like, say you, you say you you went through rape even or mm -hmm. you were you were you were abused as a child. Right. Or you you had a traumatic birth because that's very much part of mm -hmm. what people have or to traumatic release. or traumatic loss, like loss, God forbid, of a child yes. or whatever. Anything exactly. that you think exactly. to yourself, I, I can't get yes. I can't heal from this. I can't get over it. It's too exactly. much. Exactly. Like this traumatic loss is very much also what I work with. Uh, oh. Conflicts and relationships between partners or even going on with your mother or some kind of disease. I work a lot with a disease. I have okay. a process called the perceived purpose of sickness, which I help people find the purpose of that disease and clear it so that it has no more value or benefit even at a negative level or, or a positive level to have that condition. Well, because so that's, it, also, that's also described in this book perfectly. In okay. my book called, I Just Want Peace. So I'm curious. I mean, I think the listeners know that I feel this way. So, you know, my belief is, is that we're here on earth as a physical being to learn and to grow, whatever. But ultimately, it's our soul that's supposed to be growing. And that's the essence of who we are. So while we have all these challenges and suffering is part of life, because without that, we don't feel the joys and, you know, whatever. So that even if we have a disease, whatever that might be, there's probably some learning that's supposed to be coming from that so that we can reach our highest and deepest, truest self. You would agree with that kind of thought process? Never heard true words. Absolutely. Okay. 
Right. Everybody's on this journey that you just described. Mm-hmm. And, and we all, we all and, yeah. and no one goes unscathed. So there's no one, no one, no you, one. you can't because you may not, if you're here, here's what I always say. You can be asleep during this journey and just put everything aside, but you're mm-hmm. not going to feel fulfilled. You're always going to feel like something's amiss or you can stay mm-hmm. awake and walk through the pain, which I've had to do. I'm guessing you've had to do in your life. Um, Absolutely. It's, but it's when we walk through it that we get to the other side. And from that, you know, gross, I just saw this, uh, the documentary. I don't know if you saw this with Jonah Hill and Phil Stutz. Um, anyway, no. Okay. It's, what, is, it's, what is it called? It's called Stutz. And it's Stutz. really, 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 I'll give it a plug. I think it's really well done. And Phil Stutz, who's in his seventies, came up with this whole philosophy about how you change and how you grow. He has a book called Tools, which I'm actually about, three quarters of the way through. But basically what he's saying is, is that we have to sometimes leave our comfort zone to figure out who we are. And that when we do, there's this, he calls it a higher force. We, I've called it a million things, but I'll go with the higher force because that's what he's talking about. And when we get in touch with that higher force, a flow happens that is unimaginable in terms of opening up, opening, opening us up to something greater that we would never have known had we not had the challenge that is presenting. So it's, it's always trying to look at, and believe me, I don't want to suffer. I'm always saying, Hey, I'm done with suffering. I'm 72 years old. Thank you very much. I'm all done, but it doesn't always work out that way. I was just telling no, that last week I had this horrible infection. I was in bed for eight days. I wasn't happy. I don't know that I learned anything from it, but whatever. I bottom line is it happened and thank God I'm okay now, but that's a minor thing because it came and it went and it's, it's fine. But um, for people who have more serious things like cancer or other chronic, I have, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, people have all kinds of things. So whether it be a physical illness or emotional or psychological or a trauma or a loss, a horrible loss, I think what you're saying, and I'm going to agree is that it's an opportunity to grow. We may not like it, but if we can click, clear it, I think that's what you're saying. Clear, clear it out. Release then- it release it, clear it and release it. Then something else comes along. Yes. Then you would agree with this. It's going to, that's going to even be more unbelievable than we could possibly imagine in a good way. Yes. I would say like, I agree with every word you said, I call these wake up calls, wake up calls. Okay. Wake up calls. In other words, that you got a cancer. It's not pleasant. It's not fantastic. No, it is a wake up call to something of a greater nature, a car accident, a yep. bankruptcy, a fire, or even just to get a, an infection. Or yep. uh, I recently had a fall. I'd never hurt myself in my whole life. On December 1st, I fell in my hallway and had to go have my operation on a, my femur trochander. Oh, my goodness. The first time I'd ever really been in the hospital in my whole life, except to give birth. And um, and it was a fascinating thing to watch the whole reality of what it's like to be what you can call a person who's got a problem now, uh, like a sickness or a, or mm-hmm. an accident like I was in, and then to go to rehabilitation and be there with all the people being rehabilitated it was a fascinating experience. But you were involved able with it. Yeah, but you were. But that's what I'm saying. You were able. It's funny that you're saying that, because about a month ago, I fell. I was at my granddaughter's game, uh, basketball game and I fell off the bleacher that I did not break something. I'm still telling the universe, thank you very much, how grateful I am. But it's a miracle that I didn't because then I did replay like, 
I could have broken at my age, particularly I could have broken my hip and then hip replacement right. and then rehab. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not, you know, I, I feel like God knows or the universe knows I don't, I can handle emotional issues. I don't really right. like physical discomfort, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know what, as you get older, stuff's going to, I'm not wishing it, but it, mm-hmm. it happens. So um, you're saying that Definitely even with these circumstances, we have to go deeper to say this sucks. We don't, li- we don't lie to ourselves and say hip, hip, hooray, but we no. try to find like, how am I going to get through this and get to the other side? What am I supposed to learn? So I just want to go back up, back up a little bit, because it sounds like from a very young age, you kind of were always questioning. And then you come up with this great plan. Did you always sense inside like that? Th- like, could you feel inside like I'm on my path? I'm, I'm doing my purpose. Like, could you feel it inside or or was it just yeah. like a like right. a like right. a coincidence or like right. what? what how do yeah. you feel about that? I would say that for sure, that I always knew that I was on my calling. You know, in my lifetime, when when somebody asked me a question, even if the answer is no, like I can't do this for you, I can't help you or whatever, I always try to think of a way I could say yes to this request or what they're asking me. Okay. So it's, I never like to say no. I like to think if they're asking me, there must be a reason that mm-hmm. maybe I'm supposed to respond in the affirmative in some way, maybe not to what they're asking me, maybe to something else. So I've always known that, you know, we're evolving and that I'm evolving and, uh, you know, I'm here to basically be helpful. Mm-hmm. But that's I really think, myself. It, yeah, but I think that's so wonderful because truthfully, if we're on our purpose and we're on our soul's passion or whatever, you know, then it's always about love and to give back. Yes. And when we do that, here's the thing that I think is so ironic. You know, it doesn't even, to me anyways, it doesn't even feel like work. It, it, no. Whatever you give out, you get back in like, uh, you know, people are like afraid, like, for example, you were talking about a career or going bankrupt, like, but they've always had a passion to do something um, like in this book that I'm telling you about Phil Stutz's partner. He was a lawyer, the partner, the um, other author, co-author, and he graduated from Stanford or wherever, some great university. And he he got a job right away in corporate law. And he said he remembers feeling like sick to his stomach, that here he had this great job. And he just felt like I can't do this, but he was making a lot of money and Mm -hmm. he thought, well, what am I going to do? Because I really want to go back to school and be something in the therapy, you know, be a therapist or psychologist. Anyways, he did it and he ended up doing obviously quite well. I mean, as as he tells the story, um, because he followed his truth and he and everyone thought he was nuts. So sometimes you have to you have to kind of go against the flow of what people are thinking to honor yourself. And it sounds like right. you always did. I don't know if you went against any flow or what other people were thinking, but you you always honored your own calling. Totally. I always wanted to be true to myself. I've never changed that since I was a little girl. Yeah. I always answer, even if it's not popular, because I learned something. If I don't answer what you said, then you think I agreed with you. Mm-hmm. And that's very important not to have you think that I agreed with you if I don't. But at the same time, how can I say this in a way that you can hear what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. not that I want to be oppositional because I'm not. I don't like conflict and I don't like opposition, but it's important to fully represent what you want to say. I always learned that it's not what you say to somebody, it's how you say it. Exactly. If they you can know. hear it or right. receive it or take it in. Totally. It has to be said in a certain way. Right. Most of us that are in the um, do-gooder profession or whatever you yeah. want to call it, or we want to 
we don't want conflict and we, but sometimes you have to say no, but I agree with you. It's how you, cause that's part of being true to your authentic self too, that sometimes it's like, I just can't do it. And you have to say no, but it's how you do it. And you do it from a place, hopefully of love and compassion and caring. Um, and that, right. and that they can hear it. I love that. Right. And, 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 and it's important to give feedback if you think it's important to you, but you have to give feedback in a certain way that you're not making people wrong or letting them think you don't respect them or they or might judging. think or judge them or blame them. That is what we're all trying to clear. Each one of us is trying to clear what we think is our perceived guilt or what mistake we think we made mm-hmm. or what we think is wrong with us. So it's mm-hmm. like we're going in circles, kind of on a, like a rat on a maze, trying to release ourselves from our own fear and guilt that we've accumulated in our, in whether a long lifetime or a short lifetime. Right. And, and it's uh, really about accepting ourselves with love and compassion and knowing that we're not, we're not supposed to be perfect. That's not, that's right. not one of our life missions here. It's okay. Not only is it okay to be imperfect, we all are imperfect. So yes. it's how do we accept our own imperfections, the people that we love, their imperfections um, and treat everybody uh, in a place of kindness and respect and love. That's right. What's not happening. It's very important. (laughs) We're not here to be perfect. Mm -mm. We're not here not to make mistakes. We're here to do the best we can. We are good enough. Even if we make mistakes, even if we have imperfections, that's what we have to get individually. And even as a society, you know, when I watch people blaming people in politics or watching people, you know, I think, how is this like me in some way? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can point whenever you point the finger, you have other fingers to point back to you. Exactly. Right. That's the point. That's why finger, we got back to us. In my prayers every night. I mean, I always, you know, pray, pray for my family, you know, whatever. But I always send out even to people that I'm not that fond of in our world and our leaders. I always send them out love and say, right. hey, whatever, whatever they're triggering inside of me must have something mm-hmm. to do with something inside of me. And we all want fairness and justice, but that doesn't right. always happen. But I have such faith in the big picture and in human nature eventually that whatever we're going through right now, not only in our country, but in the world, it'll eventually, I don't know about in my lifetime, but it'll eventually work its way out. And I still believe love wins. And that's kind of my philosophy. I and agree, the more love that, wins. And the more that we're on our path, that that to me is contributing. So when I send out love and when I'm being honoring, self-honoring to myself and, and authentic and doing good and whatever, that not only does that make me feel good and hopefully the person I'm with or talking to or whatever, I feel like it sends out that extra energy to the universe. And I think if everybody could do that, how great would that be? You know, it's like when they say, what's that story yeah. about if a butterfly flaps its wings and whatever Japan, it, it affects the right. whole world or wherever it flaps its wings. So, yeah. So. Right. So you've done so, this your whole life where yeah. you want to say, like, if each one of us would clear our conflict that we have in our life, either with uh-huh. ourselves, with our parents, with our partners, because ultimately we have to feel the love with each person. It doesn't mean we need to be married to that person. No, I understand. We absolutely have to feel the love because what we're giving out energetically has become the com- sole composite of the whole world at war in a certain way. Yes. The war that's outside is uh, depicting the war inside. Agreed. My, my book called I Just Want Peace tells you how to clear the war inside so that we will have peace on the outside you by know. clearing the method. It's a right. tool. It's okay. just like that other book. 
I, I love that. I, I'll have to get that book. Um, you know, I always might, you know, when I thought about, you know, the pandemic and COVID and we all had to be in, you know, kind of like, I always feel like that was the universe going, what the heck are you all doing down there? You guys need a big time out because what's happening there? I mean, I don't know how much we learned from it, but um, I'd like to think we're moving, I hope in a better, more loving direction. And all I know is that each person can do that. And um, I can't control the entire world, but I can certainly control myself and what I want to put out and my messages. So um, sounds like you do the same, which I which I love. Um, This has been your story is so great. I love your philosophy. So if you were going to give someone some quick advice in closing, like how they you know, they're scared, they they have an idea maybe of what they want to do in their life differently. And I'm not talking about they have to quit their job tomorrow, whatever, but that they just feel like I, I just know there's something more that I, I should be doing, but I'm afraid or I'm uncertain. Any, what would be like your thought of what you'd want to share with them um, in closing? I want to say that each person has a unique gift that we talked about, yep. a unique purpose, mm-hmm. uh, unique talents, unique abilities. Yep. And, you know, each one of us wants to have a team around us that supports us just to go for these abilities, purposes, uh, uh, clearing and communicating, because we we need another person for one thing only. And, you know, we studied the same spiritual book you and I called The Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. And I studied it for 30 years and I taught it for 30 years. Oh, wow. The okay. book says and it you're, talks about a holy. You're more well versed than I am yeah, in that yeah, particular yeah. Uh, book. I can, rec- I can recite clear passages from. OK, well. heart. but this is a very important point. We need each other for one reason, to remind us of who we really are when we forget. Ah. Because all day long, there will be reasons of why we feel stopped, or we feel unseen, or we feel unacknowledged, or we feel afraid, or we feel guilty. And we need others who will support us to the opposite truth, mm-hmm. that we are all in a process of healing, yep. where all can be imperfect and still be good enough. We are all valuable. We all have our valuable part in this world. Unless we give that part, the world is actually not complete if we don't give our part. Oh, I love that. If we don't give our part, the world is not really complete. So again, if you believe that we're each unique, there's no one like you, there's no one like me, and we're each put here with a gift of some kind. And so we're like kind of sort of from from the beginning, kind of the word mandate, it seems a little strong, but kind of we are to use that gift. And when we don't, life is not only not going to be good for us, but I love that the world will not be complete. I think that's great. Right. Right. And when we don't give the gift, we can possibly experience one of these wake up calls that I'm talking about here. Yes. Right. Like like an illness. Yes. Yes. If the ceiling falls in on me on my head right now, I wouldn't think it's the ceiling's fault or the builder's fault. I would think, what is the message here mm-hmm. that I have to get that I'm not getting that I couldn't get over and over? Why I had to have a ceiling fall into my head? Right. Yeah. Right. So it's, okay. really, it's also taking personal responsibility for our own lives, not guilt, not making ourselves wrong, but no. for the accountability of how our life has gone. You know, while I was in the care home, I thought one of the greatest things I could do here is help each person complete their life. If they wanted to talk very real with me, like what do they need to forgive? Who do they need to forgive? Mm -hmm. What do they need to forgive in themselves? Ultimately, we need to forgive ourselves for what we think we've done wrong. 
Exactly. And I always say forgiveness, whether it be to our, certainly for ourselves, but even if to someone else, it's not, let's say, like you said, God forbid there was a rape or a sexual ongoing sexual abuse. If you're holding and harboring all that anger all the time, it only hurts you. So the forgiveness is for ourselves, um, not about the other person. We're not saying, oh, that's great that they did they raped me or they abused me? No, mm-hmm. or no. no. And then we're not going to say hip, hip, hooray. You know, let's say a no. doctor made a mistake and no, the result was I lost my leg. We're not going to say, yay, no. we love the doctor, but no, you no. know, we, we have to, we have to be able to, again, the forgiveness is to free us, not, right. not really right. about the other right. person. Right. Okay. I don't want to be holding grievances against anybody because this affects me. Exactly. And you know, we've all had traumatic things. We've all, and there's no way we're not going to go through them but it's a question of how we hold it and what we use it for. Exactly. Oh, great interview. Thank you so, so much. Right. So I always end each podcast with a little quote. So this is what I had for today. And it was, it's called, it's under, it was some website called success.com. I don't know if that has anything to do with what you're talking about, but it, it's kind of, here's what it says. The path to our destination is not always a straight one. We go down sometimes the wrong road and then we get lost and then we turn back. But maybe it doesn't matter which road we're embarking on. Maybe what matters is that we embark so we can find our true purpose by, oh, it doesn't say who it's by, but it doesn't matter. But I think that sort of says what you're saying is right. that we, we, we want to embark. That's the whole thing. I'm, yeah. Oh, I'm laughing that I'm using the word embark because in a couple of months I'm, I'm going on a, a cruise and I just got the information today about when the embarkation is going to be. So I guess embark today is my word. Anyways, um, so yeah. So thank you so much. I love what you have to say. Give me that name of your book one more time for the listeners. I, I just want peace. I just by, want peace. By Sandy Levy Lundin. And you spell my name L-E-V-E-Y. Love Elephant Victor Elephant. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's a double last name. Love Uncle No Dog Elephant. No, Lundin. Lundin. Yeah, so I said London. Yeah. May I put my phone number out? Um, if you want to, yeah. you can my share phone it. number is 360-527-2796. 360-527-2796. And that's in Pacific Standard Time. I take calls from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And anybody can call and have a free 20-minute consultation. And my email is on purpose, the name of my company, just like hers. Oh, so funny. We have the same name at Sandy Levy, S-A-N-D-Y-L-E-V-E-Y dot com. My email. Wonderful. A pleasure, pleasure meeting you. Thank you. Thank you so, so, so much. So that wraps it up for today. Um, I'm Janice Alpert. Thank you so much for listening to um, On Purpose. Here's hoping that you're doing your life both with purpose and on purpose. Till next time. Bye bye. 